Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. How's everybody doing today? Good. Hey, thank you for your prayers this week as uh, the 49ers lost last Sunday. Many of you I know were interceding, and I just felt God's presence and His healing in that moment. So I want to say thank you for that. Although I will say the Chiefs losing right before made that pill go down just a little bit easier. Yeah. It's good to see, it's good to see you guys. Good to be with you today. Uh, before we get into the Word... Uh, got a couple friends here today, friends that I just met this weekend from Fort Collins joining us today. And so just want to say welcome. Thank you for being with us. Can we put our hands together and welcome our new friends from Fort Collins? Have a safe trip back today. Praying for you guys to, to be safe in your travels. Today we're going to continue our, our study. And, and as Angel reference, we've been going through the Bible chronologically together. And it started January 1st, 365 days, starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation. We've been reading through the Bible, and and many of you commenting uh, on the app and and on the Bible reading plan, the the things that God is revealing to you. Today, we're going to continue in that, and, and I'm just hoping that I can get through this message today, because my studying... Um, for this and leading up to this, I feel like my brain just wants to go in a million different directions because we started the book of Exodus last Sunday and we've read through like chapter 21, 24, and there are, there, there's so much in that text that as I was reading and as I was preparing and I was studying, it's like, God, like, which direction do you want me to go? Like, do you want me to talk about Moses? Do you want me to talk about the burning bush? Do you want me to talk about the plagues? Do you want me to talk about Pharaoh? Do you want me to talk about the Red Sea? Do you want... And if we get into like the granularity of the narrative and of the, the text, we could stay literally like, I want to three months next year, just take three months and study the book of Exodus together because there's so much and it is so rich for us as New Testament believers, as we'll see today as well. But, but today I want us to kind of zoom out a little bit. I want us not to get, not to, to, to focus or to fixate on one particular aspect of this story, but as we zoom out and really as we've been doing this chronologically, like Angel said, it allows us to, to kind of take a step back and see God's hand at work throughout scripture and see his character revealed throughout scripture. And yes, there are, are lessons and yes, there are principles and there are things that as we look at, at different individuals in God's word, whether it's Abraham or Noah or Moses or David or Joseph, as we studied last week, so many different things that we can begin to pull out. But those individuals are not the main character of God's word. Thank you, angel. Those individuals, as great as they are, and yes, the fathers of our faith, the the scripture was not written to highlight them. It was written to highlight God and his character and to reveal himself to us. And so we have to keep that perspective. And so today we're going to be looking at at Exodus kind of chapter 1 through chapter 20, um, and, and just want to kind of zoom out a little bit to catch us up. Last week, we, we looked at Joseph, and this week, as we read together, we read about Moses and how, as a little kid, he was rescued from the Nile, raised in the palace, wasn't 
Hebrew enough to be Hebrew, but wasn't Egyptian enough to be Egyptian and kind of this individual that was torn between two worlds. And he grows up and tries to deliver his people his own way. And how many of you know that when you try and help God out or do things your own way, even as we sung about today, we make a mess of it. And so he tries to deliver his own people, commits murder, buries the Egyptian, goes into witness protection, hides out in the desert for 40 years, tending sheep for his father-in-law by the name of Jethro. And as my son was reading this week, he's like, dude, Moses' father-in-law was named Jethro? <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, thought only people in Arkansas were named Jethro. <laughs> nope, Midian too, apparently. And so... And so we, we've, we've learned about Moses and Moses has this encounter with God in the burning bush and he sees this bush on fire not being consumed. And so for him, maybe I should check this out. He goes, has an encounter with God and God calls him to go to Pharaoh to tell him, let my people go. And so we've seen this, this play out in Moses's story. And today, as we zoom out a little bit, I want us to to really look at God's heart, but then I want us to see God's pattern. Because Exodus, the, the story of the Exodus, yes, it was the story of the, the redemption and the rescue of the Israelites from slavery and bondage and captivity. What does that mean to us today? Sitting here as New Testament believers, the Exodus story is a picture of New Testament salvation. And there is a pattern that God establishes in the Exodus that once you see it, it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't not see it. Once God has revealed it to you, you will begin to see it everywhere else in Scripture. So I want us to, to look at that pattern today, but Exodus chapter 6 is going to kind of be our jumping off point this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screens. I would encourage you, though, to bring your Bibles so that as we're flipping through, I can just hear the sound of the paper. I miss that sound. And so, so bring your Bibles with you. But if you want to turn on your device or follow along on the screens, you can. Verse 2, here's what God says to Moses. I am Yahweh the Lord. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them, and under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. God doesn't forget the promises that he makes. God has deposited something in you, and you feel like God has forgotten. Let me just reassure you and be reassured through his word today that he has not forgotten. Verse 6, and this is kind of where I really want us to, to get to today, says, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with the powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Lord, this morning as we examine your word, as we study your word, as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just open the pages of your word, but Lord, that we would open our hearts to the power of your word. 
Your word was never intended to, to only be informational, but is meant and is given to be transformational. So Lord, today, for those of us that are here and those of us that are watching online, I pray that we would be transformed through the power of your word today, that we would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into all truth today? Would you reveal your heart for us through your word? Would you reveal your character to us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do in this place and in our lives? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. This morning, as we, as we look at this story, it's important for us to pause just to, to consider not just how important the book of Exodus is, but also the event of the Exodus. It was... It was the formative and foundational event in the history of the nation of Israel. In fact, it was the formation of the nation of Israel. Up until this point, yes, they were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob and his descendants went to live in Egypt as Joseph was placed there by God to, to provide for them during this time of famine. And as we transitioned from Genesis to Exodus, we saw that the, the 70 descendants that Jacob took with him into Egypt has now grown into this multitude of people. So they were they were related, they were cousins, but they weren't a nation at this point until God delivered them through the Red Sea. And at that point, the establishment of the nation of Israel takes place. And from that point on, they are referred to as such. So in, in early Judaism, and then for us as believers today as well, looking back, it is so formative in this nation and in this people group, but it's also so formative for us Today, So we, we have to pause and, and give it the, the time and the attention that it deserves. We have to, to look into it because as we read the New Testament and as we'll, we'll get into the New Testament, there are so many New Testament writings that are callbacks or pictures or bring to remembrance the events of the Exodus because it was so important to these people. They didn't forget it. They never forgot it. They always remembered and everything to them always went back to this event. And so as we, as we look at this, it's it's important for us to realize that the, the Exodus in the Old Testament is a, a picture, a type of New Testament salvation that Christ has made available to us. Examples, and I've, I've given you this every week that we've been, we've been doing this reading plan together, that it's not just the text that we're reading, but it's connecting all the dots in the text and how all of the Old Testament points to Christ and the New Testament reveals Christ. And so when we read the, the Old Testament, it's important for us to, to constantly be thinking, how does this tie in and, and what is this a picture or a type of? In Exodus chapter four, this is the first time that God refers to Israel as his son. So he delivers Israel from Egypt into sonship. Does that sound familiar to anyone? John chapter one says that Jesus came that everyone who believes in him, he would give the, the right to become children of God. We are delivered from slavery to sin into sonship through Christ. We see the, the pattern. We see the pictures. They were slaves in Egypt. The New Testament says that we were slaves to sin. They were delivered from a physical bondage. We've been delivered from a spiritual bondage. This was accomplished by God through one man, Moses, and our salvation was accomplished by God through Jesus. 
Moses was saved as a baby from a ruler who decreed that every male child should be put to death. Does that ring any bells? Christmas was just a few months ago. Jesus escaped Herod, and where did he go? Down to Egypt to escape the decree from King Herod that every Israelite boy under the age of two be put to death. The Passover in Exodus 11, Jesus coming as the sacrificial lamb. If you want more on that, go listen to the Christmas Eve message. I went into detail on that. Pharaoh is referred to as a dragon in the prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah. The dragon in Revelation is defeated. In Luke 11, Jesus is, is asked, how are you casting out demons? And his response is, I do this by the finger of God. That phrase, finger of God, only appears four times in the entirety of the Bible. Once in Luke 11, when Jesus says it, twice in the book of Exodus, when it refers to God writing down the, the, the establishment of the covenant, the law on the stone tablets for Moses. He did it by the finger of God. And the only other time it's referred is in Exodus chapter eight. When Moses is told to, to go and perform these miracles and perform these signs, what he does is he throws his staff on the ground, turns into a snake, but Pharaoh's magicians do the exact same. Moses touches the Nile, it turns to blood, but Pharaoh's magicians do the same. Moses calls, calls frogs to come up upon Egypt and Pharaoh's magicians do the same, but it gets to this, this plague of, of gnats where, where he causes these gnats to come up and it says that Pharaoh's magicians came and they couldn't replicate it. This was the first miracle that their magicians weren't able to do. And from that point on, they never tried again. But when the magicians weren't able to do it, look at what they said. They said, this is the finger of God. Jesus, when he's when he's talking about the miracles that he's doing, he's bringing their attention back to the miracles done in Egypt that would, that would be a sign that the Lord was leading them out of slavery. Jesus came performing miracles from the Father through his power to bring us from slavery into sonship. John chapter eight, Jesus is talking and he tells them, he says, you know, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many of us know that scripture. He says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But to, to a Jew living at that time, for them to think of freedom and slavery, they immediately went back to Egypt. In fact, their response is, our father is Abraham and we haven't been slaves to anyone. Jesus says, anybody that has sinned is a slave to sin. So he's, he's establishing this new this new pattern in the New Testament, and it looked like this in the old, but it looks like this in the new, and it gets down to the end of the chapter, and they get mad at him because they're like, our father is Abraham, and, and Jesus is like, no, it's not. Like, our, our, our father is God. And he says, no, it's not. Because if your father was Abraham, you would listen to me, and if your father was God, you would love me. He says, your father is the devil. And they, and they said, you Samaritan demon is how they responded to Jesus. You Samaritan demon, how dare you say that of us? And he says, listen, like your father Abraham, he saw my coming and he was happy when he saw it. Their response was kind of childish because they said, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? <laughs> Apparently you had to be 51 to see Abraham. But they're like, you're not even 50 years old. How how have you seen Abraham in Jesus's response at the end of John chapter eight? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, what? 
When Moses was before the burning bush and he says, God, when I go to them, if I go to them, should I go to them? If they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? I am. From the burning bush, God says, I am is sending you to bring bring deliverance to my people. Jesus comes in John chapter eight and says, before any of that happened, I am. If you're looking for extra reading, here's my challenge to you this week. Those of you that are doing the chronological plan, keep going. Keep, keep, keep going. Don't stop. If you haven't started, get a plan today. Start, start today. Follow along with us. But for those of you that are like wanting extra, extra assignments or you want extra credit, extra work, here's what, I, here's what my challenge is, is. As we read through the book of Exodus, go back and read through the gospel of John. And as you read through the gospel of John, look at how many times John writes with either direct comparisons to the Exodus or to Moses or with a language that communicates and and brings back memories of Egypt and slavery. It's staggering the number of times in the Gospel of John that this reference is made mention of. And so as we look at the the book of Exodus, as we look at all of this, it, it really tells us the story of God's power and his might shown in the deliverance of Israel from Egypt how he rescues them from their bondage. It it, it shows us the establishment of his covenant with them, the establishment of the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was a precursor to the temple in Jerusalem. It was a, a place that they could worship God, a place that they could meet with God, a place for God's presence to dwell. This week, we're gonna be reading about the tabernacle. Don't get bogged down, don't quit. There's a lot of instructions. There's a lot of measurements. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a whole materials list Like, listen, I know it's going to be easy to read through that and just turn it off. Don't. Don't. As you read through that, here, I'm just going to like, I told you, my mind is like on overdrive today. As we read through about the tabernacle, think back to creation. And ask the question, God, what was lost in creation that you're trying to reestablish with the tabernacle? Because the garden was the place for God to dwell with Adam and Eve. When sin entered the world, that broke. But then when God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and says, establish the the tabernacle, why? Because he wants to dwell with his people again. We'll get into that in a little bit. But when you read Exodus 30, make mental note of how many times God says to Moses, Moses, do this. And then think back to Genesis 1 and how many times God said, let there be. And at the end of creation, what does it end with? The seventh day, Sabbath, rest. After God gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle, the very first instruction he gives them after that is remember the Sabbath. Why? Because it's a reinstituting of what was lost in creation. That's free. That's not a part of my message today. That's not where we're going. But I just want to encourage you, as you read the instructions for the tabernacle this week, don't get bored, don't get bogged down, and don't give up, okay? It's all there. But we see this in the story. Let's, I want us to go back and, and look at verses six through eight because that's where I want us to, to really focus today. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this shows us the pattern. I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. Let's continue. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. What is the pattern that God has? 
is establishing, not just here, but for the rest of his word, the pattern of his character revealed in salvation. He always goes by this pattern. There's redemption and following redemption is consecration. And after consecration, there is inheritance given. We see it in this scripture, not just once, but twice. Go back to verse six, go back. There we go. Say to the people, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery. I will what? I will redeem you with a powerful arm. So here we see the picture of redemption. What's God saying? He's saying, I'm going to redeem you. Let's go to verse seven. I will claim you as my own people. What is that? That's consecration. What does it mean to be consecrated? To be set apart, to be devoted to God, to be dedicated to the Lord. It has this connotation of being washed and being cleansed. He says, I will consecrate you. I will set you apart as my people and I will be your God. The inheritance, I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And then he repeats the pattern. I'm the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. There's redemption. Let's continue. I will bring you into the land that I swore. I will, I will consecrate you. I will set you apart in this land. I will give it to you, you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. He, he tells them, here's the pattern. And then he tells them again, here's the pattern confirmed. And this is the way that God works to this day. There is redemption. There is consecration. And then there is inheritance. You see it throughout the scripture. We, we can look at the, the story of Noah. There was redemption, there was consecration, there was inheritance. As we look at this pattern, the first thing that God does is he, he redeems. He's a God of redemption. He is our redeemer. He, he establishes what he wants in creation in the very beginning in the garden. And we mess it up how we always do. And the rest of the story, not just in God's word, but the rest of the story of humanity is God coming and redeeming that which was lost. He's a redeemer. I'm thankful that my God is a redeemer because I needed redeeming. I was a slave to sin. I was bound up inside. I was a mess. And yet God reached down and he pulled me out of that pit into sonship in him. And he has redeemed me today. He has the power of redeeming anything that was lost. If you're here today or you're watching online and you're lost and you need to be redeemed, the good news is that God is still a redeeming God, he redeems Abraham. He, he redeems Isaac by offering the sacrifice. Ruth was redeemed. The lost sheep in Luke 15 was redeemed. The lost son was redeemed. God's story is a story of redemption. What does that, what does that mean for us? First Peter tells us that, that we've been redeemed. It says, you know that it's not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, your redemption came through the blood of Jesus. Your redemption came because as Mariah said, he looked at you and he knew that you were worth dying for. Even if you don't feel that way, even if you look at your past mistakes, even if you look at what you did last night, even if you look at how you... Maybe yelled at your kids this morning on the way to church. Listen, I know that that's real. Because I grew up as a kid on the way to church Sunday mornings. I love you, mom. 
Well, that's real life. It's real stuff. And it's like, man, I blew it. Yes, but God has redeemed us through the blood that was shed. We have been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. There was a story about this man who was, who was walking through this gem show in, in the, the 80s in Tucson. He's walking through this gem show. He walks by this table and there's this blue stone sitting on this table and it had a price tag of $15 on it. And he, he looks at the man and he says, $15? The guy's like, okay, I'll give it to you for 10. The man pulled out a $10 bill as quick as he possibly could. And he gave him $10 for it. Why? Because he knew the truth of what the stone was. He knew a truth that the owner of the stone didn't know. He looked at this stone. He recognized it as a blue star sapphire. And at that time, it was the largest blue star sapphire known in the world. He bought it for $10. He took it to get appraised. You know what it appraised for? Two and a quarter million dollars. Some of you are like, I'm going to a gem show next week. <laughs> it took a lover of stones to recognize the value in the stone. And it took the lover of your soul to recognize the value in you. To the point where he was willing to send his son and Jesus was willing to give up his life so that you could find and experience new life in him. We've been redeemed by the power of Christ. So the next time you question your value, remember what God paid to redeem you. So the first thing that we see is redemption. The second thing that we see is consecration. What does it mean to be consecrated? Again, to be set apart, to be devoted, to be dedicated to the Lord, to be washed, to be cleansed. We see this also in the the Old Testament. Exodus 19, God has come down on Mount Sinai. He's meeting with Moses, you know, I want you to look at this because we read this was in our reading yesterday. The Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothing. So there's this setting apart. There's this dedication. There's this cleansing of themselves. Be sure that they are ready on what day? What day did they need to be ready? The third day. What happened on the third day? God's presence came down and he established covenant with them through the law. So God tells them, consecrate yourselves. Be ready on the third day because on the third day, my presence will come down upon the mountain. I will establish covenant relationship with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. On the third day, Jesus got up. And through that established covenant with us. Are you beginning to see how important all of these things begin to be? I think one of the problems is as we read the, the word of God, we read it as a textbook. And when we, when we read God's word as a textbook, all we're looking for is what's going to be on the quiz. Give me the bullet points. Give me what I need to know. And I'll gloss over the rest. And if we read God's word as a textbook, just looking for bullet points, yeah, you'll be saved. And yeah, you'll make heaven your home. And yes, there, there will be life to be, to be had eternally. But when we read God's word as a narrative, the reason we write, like reading novels is because we know that the writer of that novel didn't put any of those details in the beginning there for nothing. Like, okay, this seems random, but I'm going to have to remember this because it's going to come into play later on. You need to read God's word the same way. On the third day, be ready because I'm going to come down as all of the people watch. Consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart. Just as God consecrated the nation of Israel, we've been consecrated and set apart as well. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 9. 
says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, which is interesting because it's the exact same language and wording used by God to Moses in Exodus 19. I'm establishing covenant, why? So that you will be set apart. Jesus came to establish covenant, why? So that we could be set apart. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, the pattern is here. Redemption. I called you out. You were in darkness, but I brought you into light. I've redeemed you. I've consecrated you. And now there's an inheritance for you to have. God's pattern is there throughout the word. So he comes down. He, in Exodus 20, gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the the moral law. Then he gets into kind of some of the civil law, and he, he writes it down. Moses comes down off of the mountain, and he he reads it to the people, right? He reads the covenant like, hey, here's what God said. Here's his terms. Here's where you need to sign. What do you guys think? And he comes down and as, as he comes down, he took the book of the covenant. He read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. We will obey. for eight chapters, (laughs) not even 40 days, because pretty soon we're going to see in our text a golden calf that gets made. We will obey. How quickly? We forget. God comes and he performs miraculous signs on our behalf, and it's like, thank you, God. The Red Sea was incredible. Thank you, God, that There was manna provided. John, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Thank you, God, that there was water from the rock. Jesus says in John, I am living water. Thank you, God, for all the things that you've done on our our behalf. We will obey everything that you say. And that's what we say on Sunday mornings. And then on Monday, we get to work and our boss is like, hey, and we're like, This is my Egypt, God. Like, calm down. (laughs) Your workplace is not your Egypt. But he comes and he, they they say, we will obey everything. Then Moses, look at what Moses does. There were sacrifices that were offered. Moses kept some of it. Moses takes the blood from the basins and he splatters it over the people. Declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant that the Lord has made with you and giving you these instructions. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It should, because in Luke chapter 22, this is what Jesus says at the Last Supper. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my what? Blood, which was what? Poured out for you. So Moses at Mount Sinai says, God has established covenant. Do you agree? Yes. Then here's the sprinkling of the blood of sacrifice. Jesus comes and establishes the new covenant and by the shedding of his blood poured out in in our lives and to wash and cleanse us, we now have the the freedom, the, the right to be in covenant relationship with God. It's all there. So when we read through the Old Testament, like it's not just there for nothing. 
is there to, to point us to, to what we have. It's, it's redemption, it's consecration, but it's also inheritance. It's inheritance. Yes, the promised land. We, when we think about inheritance for the people of Israel, it always goes to the promised land, right? Like they're going to they're gonna get this land that was promised to them. But, but if we go back, what was the promise that God gave them? I will call you out. Why? Because you will be my people and I will be your God. That was the real inheritance of this covenant established with Israel. He says, I will be your God. And so he tells Moses, he says, he says hey, I, I need a place to stay. Everyone has tents except for me. And I can keep coming down on the mountain, but if you're going to have to walk up here to meet with me every day, Moses, this is going to be exhausting for you. Like you will be in the best shape you have ever been in. He says, I need a place to stay. So he comes to Moses and he tells Moses, have the people build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. Most translations say, I will dwell among them or I will dwell with them. What is God saying? God's saying, now that we're in relationship, now that we're in covenant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and not just be a pillar of, of fire or, or a cloud that leads, but I'm going to come and literally make my dwelling place, my habitation among you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. John chapter one of Jesus says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling. It's interesting is in the Greek, this word dwelling literally means to set up one's tabernacle, to set up one's tent, to set up one's habitation. And in the Old Testament, God came down the mountain to habitate with his people. And in the New Testament, Jesus left eternity, stepped in, took up upon himself the form of a servant. Why? So that he could make his dwelling place with us. So he can dwell among his people. The inheritance that we have is this, this cohabitation with God, that he is our God and we are his people, because through the work of Jesus, this promise isn't just for the Israelites anymore, but it's for all of us. It's not just for the Jew, but it's also for Gentile. The inheritance that we have that he will be our God, but it goes beyond that because what Jesus does is he doesn't just, he doesn't just mirror or copy the old pattern, but he takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah where they were delivered from a physical torment, we were delivered from a spiritual torment. Where they were delivered from hard physical manual labor, we were delivered from spiritual death and eternal separation from God. Their inheritance was that, hey, I can see God's presence and cool, he's living in our community. Our inheritance is the Holy Spirit where it's not just that, that there's a temple in a, in a place that, that holds God's presence, but now we are the temples of the Holy Spirit and he makes his dwelling place not among us, but in us. Like he takes it to a whole nother level. The inheritance is John 10, 10. And it's what we say every week that, that Jesus came to give us a life and a life more abundantly. Yes, there's an inheritance to be had one day, but don't miss out on the inheritance that you have today as well. There is newness of life that, that has been made available to us. Hebrews chapter nine. Let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. This is the reason that Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. 
Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now, we're not going to get into the law today. There'll be plenty of time in Leviticus for us to talk about the law, and we'll bring in Romans, and we'll talk. Plenty of time for us to do that. But what I want to to draw your attention to today is, is the inheritance. Our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. Our inheritance is life more abundant, the, the spirit to equip and to empower us to live the life that the, the law never could get us to. See, the law was there for a specific time, for a specific purpose, but the time came where the law couldn't do it, and Jesus had to come as the fulfillment of the law. And as the fulfillment of the law and the sacrifice that was needed, he came to redeem, to consecrate, and to give his people an inheritance. Our inheritance is so multifaceted. It's here and it's now. And the prophet Ezekiel said, you know, I'll give prophesying from God. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. You will be, you will be my sons. You will be my daughters. And God does that. And all we have to do is place our faith in him. All we have to do is surrender our lives. All we have to do is stop trying to control everything. All we have to do is put into practice the words that we sang this morning. Every song today was interesting. I was sitting there and the worship team didn't know what I was preaching. An angel really didn't know what I was preaching, but I was just sitting there and was like, you guys are all just preaching my message. Like that's the way that the Holy Spirit works. He's preparing and then he's tying it all together. So he comes to redeem, he comes to consecrate, he comes to give an inheritance. Just as God moved in his might and power on behalf of the nation of Israel in their slavery, God has moved in his might and in his power on behalf of you and I. So that they could be set free, so that you and I can be set free. From slavery to sin, from bondage to this world, to be set apart and marked as different. Yes, we are here and we are in it, but we are not of the world. This is not my, this is not my home. I'm just a foreigner passing through. He's set us apart. And he's given us such a beautiful inheritance. If we would, but surrender. If we would, but put our faith and trust in him. And so today, I'm not quite done. One more thing that I want to share with you challenge moving forward, but I want to take a second and ask and give you an opportunity if you've, if you've not been redeemed, if you've not asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've not given up control of your life to him, if you're still stuck in bondage and slavery to sin, there is freedom to be found in him. This morning, if that's you, I just want to pray with you. If you're here, you're watching online, doesn't matter. Right where you're at, just bow your heads. And we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going, to, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, just pray this prayer. Church, help us pray today. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so I could have new life in you. Today, I receive you as my Redeemer, as my Savior, but also as my Lord. Would you be the master of my life? Would you lead me and would you guide me in all of your ways that I would keep my eyes upon you 
that I would reflect your character being set apart to be a light in my world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Congratulations. You have now been adopted into the family of God. You are now sons. You are now daughters. You are now fully redeemed by the price that Jesus has already paid. The old is gone and there is new. Just as the nation of Israel walked through the, the Red Sea, out of slavery and into freedom, you today have walked out of slavery to sin and into newness of life in him. Now, with that said, here's my question. Why did, why did God set them free in the book of Exodus? If you go back to the very beginning, even, even as Moses first went to Pharaoh, he said, God says, let my people go so that they might what? Very good. You guys, you guys are like, you're right there. Let them go so that they might worship me. The reason he delivered them in Egypt was so that they might worship him. He delivered them so they would serve him. He delivered them so they would be a light among the nations to reveal and reflect God's glory. He delivered them for a purpose. And what you need to understand today is that God's deliverance is, is never just from something, but it is always for something. It's never just from something. I was delivered from this. And we love to tell stories about what we were delivered from. And yes, God gets the glory and the honor and the praise for all of that. But when's the last time we had a conversation with somebody and it's like, I was delivered for this reason. I was delivered for this purpose. I was delivered to be a light in my family. I was delivered to be a witness in my neighborhood. I was delivered so that, so that God might show the redemptive power in his hand in the mess that I had made of my life and what he has done as he's put the pieces back together. I was redeemed and I was purchased and I was bought back and I was consecrated and I was set apart for this purpose. Now that you're all redeemed, for those of you that want to be anyway, now that you're all, you've all been delivered, the question that you need to wrestle with is God, why? Why? God, thank you for delivering me from, but God, what is the for in my life? And as the Holy Spirit begins to reveal that to you, step out, trust him. One step of faith, one day at a time, amen? Stand with me, otherwise we're gonna keep going and then we're gonna talk about the tabernacle. That'll be next week. Listen, if, if you're not reading with us, start reading because there is so much today that I didn't even get to, but it's all there in God's word. And as you read it, he reveals it to you. Start reading. Follow along, join us on this journey. You will not regret it, I promise you that. But let me pray for you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for what you've done through the power of your word. God, we thank you for the pattern that you established 
in the Old Testament that, that God, we can walk in the next level of it in the New Testament. Lord, for the redemption and the consecration and the inheritance and God today, we thank you that you have redeemed us. We thank you that, that we are that, that holy nation, that royal priesthood, that, that people that is unique and different and set apart for your purpose and for your glory. God, thank you that you've washed us and you've cleansed us and you've made us new. Lord, thank you for the inheritance that you've given us as co-heirs with Christ. And it's not just a, a physical inheritance. It's not a material inheritance. But Lord, there is an inheritance to walk in now in freedom and fullness. And then there is an inheritance one day that we will, we will operate in the fullness of as we reign with Christ. Lord God, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for redemption. We thank you that you've delivered us from bondage. But God, today I pray that you would challenge us to understand and to realize that you've also delivered us for something as well. Lord, help us to walk in that for this week. Help me to walk in that for today, that I would be a light, that I would be a reflection of your character that the fruit of the spirit would be so active in, in our hearts and in our lives that people couldn't help but notice as a city set on a hill or a lamp that's put on a table. God, may we shine your glory everywhere we go. We love you. We thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. If you need prayer, our prayer team's down here. We'd love to minister to you in that way. If not, be dismissed. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.